This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new edition of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. My safe word is keep going. Joining me once again is Mr. Positivity, Wolfie T. What's up? What's going on with you? I just got back from vacay. You still pumping out those Positively Wolfie podcast episodes? Every Friday so far. As of recording, episode seven is out today on, uh, on a Friday. And uh, the stories just keep getting wilder and wilder. In 2020? No. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's worth checking out uh, if you're just curious whatsoever and the bizarre goings on in the world. Yep. Uh, have your stories from Florida or no? Actually, uh, I'm, I need to start keeping track of all the states that we've... Uh, insulted on my show because we're I, th- I think we're up to about seven or eight now and uh <laughs> i've recorded next week's episode too so that's in eight episodes we've probably at, at least one per episode we've we've pissed off a state i see when am uh when did you want me on it again do you want to record next week soon uh whenever we can uh find time to get her done we can we can get one done with uh with you on there actually i, did, I had to turn you down last week because or this week because i was on vacation but during a pandemic even <laughs> well we went to a cottage we actually went to the wisconsin dells but uh we didn't go to like noah's ark or anything like that Got a... oh, i thought i thought you went to sturgis to go see smash mouth <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, I saw that article of like Smash Mouth. The bikers, they don't seem like they'd like Smash Mouth. You know, it's funny. I just, uh, on uh, the episode seven of Positively Wolfie, we just kind of mentioned that story in passing. And then uh, I just recorded an episode with Stefan from a comedy advice podcast. And I also recorded an episode of their podcast as well with him and his two co hosts. And on the episode of a comedy advice podcast, we actually gave advice to Smash Mouth regarding their Sturgis concert and their uh, fuck this COVID shit uh, <laughs> attitude. So that's coming soon. The so beggars can't be choosers. Smash Mouth better take any gig they can get. Anytime, any place, especially in 2020. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's coming up. Uh, so, you know, I got a guest appearance on there. We told them about WTM Watch This Movie. So if you're nice. coming to us uh, retroactively after hearing me on a comedy advice podcast, welcome. And, uh, now, we I was confused because this is the podcast that is formerly known as Hyperbole, right? Exactly. And, and now switched it's in my feed on Apple Podcasts. I was like, well, there's new you know, cover art and a new name. I was like, well, what's this podcast? Yes. It changed because nobody could find it, spell it, pronounce it. And it was, uh, uh, the host Stefan started it with his brothers. So that's why they put bro in there and his brothers just abandoned him and left him alone to do mm-hmm. the podcast. So, uh, he rebranded it as something that is very easy to locate nice so like i said that's coming up he's gonna be on positively wolfy next friday uh which is uh the first friday in september and uh it's a real fun episode so you're gonna want to check that out and then you know check out every episode that's already out there and subscribe for more sounds good uh other upcoming events I guess would be the next episode of WTM will be 
about an actual movie. We're back to big time movie reviews. And we're going to be doing late 80s cult classic, Andy Sedaris film, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which few people have seen probably, but uh, it's kind of made the run on the midnight circuit, midnight movie circuit. So some of you have, and if you haven't, you should give it a watch for a good old time. Uh, Ultimate 80s Cheese stars a bold and the beautiful soap opera star and four Playboy Playmates. And it is a action film, so to say. <laughs> and it takes place in Hawaii. I haven't, I, I have not watched it yet. I'm pretty excited. So uh, it'll be a, a genuine first reaction for me once we get into it. You know, usually we like to pick movies that we both have seen before and kind of agree this is a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. Or at least we enjoy it, even, even if it's like not a, a great, well-made movie. But uh, this is a, a, a leap of faith that Eric has bestowed upon me mm-hmm. that we're going to do a hard ticket to Hawaii, sight unseen for myself. But, you know, they call me Mr. Positivity, so... yeah. I'm sure I can find something redeeming about it. I mean, how can you not? After after watching it, you'll know what I mean. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so stay tuned for that. I'm not sure if it's on any streaming platforms. I don't believe so. I'm not sure if you looked it up at all. But I mean, I, I had did. it on Blu-ray. So. Yeah, I did a little bit of a search, and I didn't I didn't see it on anything that I have access to. So it's probably a cheap rental. I don't even it's know. Be streaming if- somewhere. So honestly, I mean, it'd be worth honestly, it, but yeah, I don't even know if it showed up when I looked it up on my uh, cable box and it's pretty rare for a movie to not at least show up as a, a rental option. Yeah. So, uh, I got it as a cheap Blu-ray, a nice special edition Blu-ray from Mill Creek local company. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Yeah. It might be on YouTube. I wouldn't be surprised, but mm-hmm. I'm sure the quality is not great. Yeah. Well, I think that about does it. Only other news I guess to speak of is theaters are starting to open up again. Tenants coming out soon. It was already released in 70 countries. Um, Bill and Ted three came out today, streaming and in select theaters. Twenty four ninety nine to stream Bill and Ted three. Twenty five bucks, huh? I haven't yeah. looked at it yet. I looked yesterday and that was the price. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I want to pay 25 bucks for it. I'm a little wary to restart my A-list because I don't think there's enough movies to get me out to the theater to sit there for yeah. two hours in a mask or, or whatever. Well, I heard the Invergrove AMC is like one of the first ones opening up. Well, I, think the they, I think they opened, uh, they opened like 13 in the Twin Cities area, I think. So it wasn't just that one. It was, uh, it was most of the ones in the metro area are open now. Mm. Uh, my The theater that I work at is not opening yet, but uh, another theater owned by the same company, Lagoon, that's going to be opening, I believe, tonight, Friday. And they're kind yeah. of doing a, Landmark's doing kind of a, what do you want to call it, a, a constant rollout over, I guess, the next several weeks opening up, you know, a few theaters at a time here and there. Are they showing unhinged? I'm not sure. That's the one that I'm I'm legitimately most interested in seeing, but I don't know if I want to go out to the theater just to see unhinged. Yeah. I feel like that's something that will probably be on uh on demand pretty quick and uh yeah. tenant will be in the theaters for quite a while, so I mean, you can wait and build up a couple of movies that you want to watch and uh, maybe get back on that A-list in a month or so. Yeah, I have till uh, December 1st, and then on December 1st, they just automatically start charging you again. Mm-hmm. So, But I can re-enlist at any point. It's just, you know, how much do I want to go to the theaters, you know, at this point in time? And then, you know, with the movie selection is it worth it to pay what i was paying you know when i could go to the theater three days a week you know if i'm only going you know maybe once a week or once every other week i uh, saw a video on twitter of 
Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie going to see Tenet at a theater in London with, you know, the normies, the normal folk. Isn't that special? Mm-hmm. Getting back but, out to the theater. I bet Tom Cruise doesn't wear a mask. He wore a mask the whole time. What? There's even uh, shots of them in the theater. Like when the movie starts, the movie ends, and they're wearing a mask. He was wearing one in the car on the way over, videotaped. Yeah. That's interesting. You know who doesn't wear a mask is O.J. Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally unrelated, but uh, that made me think of uh, TMZ tweeted a story out a week or two ago about, and the headline was, O.J. Simpson flirts with danger and young women (laughs) at Las Vegas club without mask on. Tom Cruise is always wearing a mask. That's, that's the problem. You never know if he's wearing a mask or not. Well, even if he looks like he's not, he probably is. And then he'll rip probably, it off. He's probably excited because he's like, now people can't make fun of my off-center teeth. <laughs> yeah. With the Mission Impossible films. Hey, he can just say he's wearing a mask whenever. He, he should get one of the masks where it's a print of his own face, but the teeth are centered. Mm-hmm. I remember when I found out that little tidbit about his teeth, I don't know, several years ago, and I was just like, how did I not notice that? <laughs> that he has a, he has a middle tooth. Because <laughs> no, everything's shifted over. No, nobody will shut up about it. That's the only <laughs> thing that ever comes up. Tom Cruise's teeth are off center, and he runs in every movie. <laughs> it's like That's not trivia anymore. That's not a fun fact. That's just common knowledge. All right, well, let's get into it. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? What did you see, Brett? I saw a 2019 movie that I did not see in the theater because it did not look very appealing. It's called Playing with Fire, directed by Andy Fickman. It stars John Cena, Keegan-Michael Key, (laughs) John Leguizamo, Tyler Maine, Brianna Hildebrand, Kristen Convery, Finley Rose Slater. Wait, is that Jay Cutler's wife? Kristen Cavallari? Oh, sorry. It's Christian Convery. It's a, oh. it's a small child. <laughs> oh, wait. They said Kristen Cavallari? I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> it's a, I misread. I thought it was Kristen. That's Chris, Christian. It's a, it's a small, like, eight-year-old boy. Uh, Judy Greer and uh, Dennis Haysberth. Haysbert. Dennis <laughs> Haysbert. Save 40% on your insurance. You're good hands, Allstate. The synopsis is a crew of rugged firefighters meet their match when attempting to rescue three rambunctious kids. So this is a, uh, this was produced by Nickelodeon. It's a kid's movie or a family movie, if you will. Kind of standard slapstick comedy, you know, guys out of their element. It's kind of like um, The Pacifier. It's a little bit like that, the Vin Diesel movie, which I always call The Pacifist by mistake. And I hope I got it right this time. Or like Mr. Nanny, something like that, where you got these big tough guys who are super career oriented and don't have you know, families to distract them and they get thrown in the situation where they have to take care of these young kids and the kids are out of control and, you know, all that stuff. So it's, you know, it's not a super original premise. You know, it's, it's got its funny moments. There's some, some legitimately funny like slapstick moments in there. John Leguizamo is looking pretty old. It is kind of strange that they had like, like it's four guys who are, all in their 40s or older playing these big tough firefighters yeah and then dennis haysbert i can't even say his name dennis haysbert you ever have that word you can't get is like the the big wig uh firefighter he's like the the top of the the heap and he's even older but you know it's the, the real macho guys who get their walls broken down metaphorically by these kids so they can open up their hearts and become more caring, well-rounded individuals. I thought um, Haysburg pretty much quit acting. 
He's getting a lot of money from those commercials. He's doing a lot of commercials. He's doing acting in the commercials. Like you had that one commercial where he's filming a show in the commercial and then the guy flubs his lines because he's so distracted by Allstate insurance. <laughs> that the hibbity-bibbity guy? No, the way, no, that's Liberty Mutual. That's what I'm thinking of. The guy that no. can't get the lines right. No, there's one where he's uh there there's an accident on the side of the road in the the desert and uh he's like uh he thought he could get away with it and the other guy's like well all state accident forgiveness he won't have to pay for this even if it is his fault and then they cut and they're like no the line is the desert never lies he's like oh but dennis is here i get distracted it's like a cop show Mm -hmm. it's very elaborate but anyways (laughs) playing with fire like i said it's a Pretty by the books, family-friendly, kids, comedy, a lot of slapstick, a few gross-out humor jokes. Right up your alley. There's there's one vomit scene, which kind of, you almost see it coming, and then it catches you by surprise, and it's it's pretty over the top. It, it actually, it did make me laugh pretty hard. John Cena's a little bit uneven. Like, he's he's got some, <laughs> like... Like there's some t- parts where he's really funny and then other parts where, you know, he's playing the hard ass and it's like, well, he's, he's not the, the best at that part of it. But I, I guess that's to be expected in the, in the type of movie where the, you know, they're, they're more aiming at a younger audience. It's not going to be too nuanced, but uh, overall, not something you need to go out to see, but it was, uh, it was more enjoyable uh, than I expected. I had more laughs than I thought there would be. But I'll give Playing With Fire a WTM last resort. That's a last resort. All right. I saw a film from 1988, Tequila Sunrise. You seen this? Have you heard about this? I've not seen it, but I know of it. And it's something that has been on my list in the past and that I just didn't watch. Mm-hmm. Well, this movie is special because it was written and directed by Robert Town. Robert Town is the Oscar-winning screenwriter behind Chinatown. It's the perfect screenplay, <laughs> is what I've been told. That, that you have been told. It's about misappro- misappropriating water supplies. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. It's season two of True Detective tried the same thing and everybody shit on it but chinatown is the perfect screenplay yeah um so yeah he wrote uh, a lot of different things started off in tv uh, he did like lloyd bridges show uh, outer limits man from uncle uh, then he kind of got into films he was uncredited on the godfather he wrote chinatown Parallax View, The Yakuza, Shampoo, Marathon Man, Heaven Can Wait, uh, Frantic, The Two Jakes, Days of Thunder, Crimson Tide, Mission Impossible 1 and 2. I've seen a handful of those. Mm -hmm. I think Days of Thunder is my fucking favorite of the group. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Uh, the funny thing is like, I'm not a huge fan of days of thunder, but I've watched it like at least five, six times, probably yeah, love watching that mellow yellow card as whip around the corners. Like days of thunder. I, I didn't actually watch it till like a year or two ago, but it was something that I was aware of as a child. <laughs> and like, I had toys from it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we had the, had the toy mellow yellow car as a kid. <laughs> like it was it was something I was aware of, but didn't actually see or know anything about until much later. And it was it was pretty good. I liked it. It was a good movie. It's a good cast. It was a solid flick. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the few movies that he both wrote and directed. And everyone was really excited for Tequila, Tequila Sunrise. They're thinking it's another you know, crime drama thriller set in Los Angeles. And this time we got Kurt Russell. And Mel Gibson squaring off against each other, basically, even though they play friends in here. 
Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer also pretty hot at the time. Lethal Weapon had come out the year before, so Mel Gibson was riding hot off of that. And, you know, the first two Mad Max films, actually all three, because Thunderdome came out in 85, I think. And uh, Kurt Russell, he obviously had a bunch of hits in the 80s, so everyone was thinking this is going to be huge. And it did make over $100 million at the box office off of a estimated $23 million budget, but it was kind of a critical flop. Everyone's like, he, this guy did Chinatown, and then he did this. So I'll say it was also starred, uh, so I said Mel Gibson, Kurt Russell, Michelle Pfeiffer, Raul Julia, or Julia, I guess he probably pronounces it, Gomez Adams from the films. Uh, also stars J.T. Walsh, Arliss Howard, and Gabriel Damon. Gremlins too. You talk about Arliss Howard? No, uh, Raul Julia was the uh, janitor in Gremlins too. Oh, that's right. Because the uh, uh, little gizmo said Gomez or something like. No, it was the real Gomez Adams, the from the show. Raul Julia from he was the, in the early movies. 90s yeah, movies. He was in the movies. Who was they the had guy the, on the show? I forget. But yeah, he was the actor from the TV show. What Batman villain did he play? Was he... Because wasn't he a Batman villain too? Um, on the TV show? I know, you got me confused because I just watched The Mice and Men for the movie challenge and Burgess Meredith. It's like what him as the Riddler and... I'll look um, it up. I'll yeah. look it up. But anyways, the uh, I'll give the synopsis here for Tequila Sunrise. A former L.A. drug dealer tries to go straight, but his past and his underworld connections bring him into focus of the DEA, the Mexican feds, and the Mexican drug cartels. So Mel Gibson plays former drug dealer, and his friend since grade school is Kurt Russell, who's a cop kind of the head of the, I guess, drug part of the, I guess, the cops, the LAPD. Because DA is involved as well. That's the J.T. Walsh character, I believe. It's uh, John Aston. Okay. Sean Aston's dad, right? Or grandfather? Uh, one of the two, yeah. Along with Mackenzie Aston, star of the Garbage Pail Kids movie. <laughs> Uh, so uh, Michelle Pfeiffer plays uh, manager of a restaurant, a very upscale restaurant that both of these men frequent. So anyways, everyone's pressuring Kurt Russell to kind of come down on his friend. Everyone thinks he's still dealing. They want him locked up. At the very least, they want him to use Gibson to get to Mexican drug cartels or other drug connections, kingpin types, all that. And so, yeah, there's plenty of intrigue here, I guess. Maybe not as much as Chinatown, but beginning to end, I think I was just disappointed. I I kind of heard it was kind of a disappointment of a film. I think the performances were fine. Mel Gibson isn't really playing his usual smart-ass self. Like he might crack a few lines here or there, but he's more of a soft-spoken type. Mm-hmm. You know, he's tired of being... I guess in the shadow of his past, he is really trying to go straight, although he does still have friends in the drug business and all that. Kurt Russell's his usual charismatic self as well. Michelle Pfeiffer, she's a doll, but it was uh, nice to see Roll Hooley again. Always enjoyed him whenever he popped up. Good cat, good, uh, good supporting characters with J.T. Walsh and Arliss Howard, but yeah, it was just kind of a forgettable movie. You know, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of action. It was it was a bit noirish, but uh, other than that, I'd say it's pretty forgettable. I mean, I'd probably watch it again, see if I got more out of it the second time around, but not in a rush to see it again. So, I will give it a WTM, a last resort. That's a last resort. Yeah, based on the uh, filmography of uh, the the writer there, that's definitely the type of movie that he seems to do the most. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a a lot on that list that are kind of in that same genre. And by the way, John Aston played the Riddler on two episodes of Batman. Okay. 
I don't know if he was like the only Riddler because I, I feel like the Riddler was on more than two episodes. Sorry, I, I messed up. Burgess Meredith was the Penguin. Not I mentioned the Riddler earlier, but boy, I feel like a horse's patoot. My next movie is uh, from 2017. It's a bit of a callback to our last episode because I watched The Killing of a Sacred Deer. (laughs) Uh, I'm excited to hear what you (laughs) thought of The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. It stars uh, a list of actors in a weird order here. Uh, Colin Farrell's in there. How do you say this guy's name? Barry Keoghan? Cohen? Uh, uh, Cohen? Yeah, not sure. Nicole Kidman, Alicia Silverstone. I'm just going to go there because the, the cast is in a, just a ridiculous order here. I don't understand. Bill Camp's in there. You might know him from, uh, I think he was on Better Call Saul. Anyways, synopsis Stephen, a charismatic surgeon, is forced to make an unthinkable sacrifice after his life starts to fall apart. When the behavior of a teenage boy he has taken under his wing turns sinister. Do you think Colin Farrell is charismatic in this movie? I think that's a weird, <laughs> weird descriptor. Yeah, Yorgos Lanthimos, after seeing four of his movies now, he, def- <laughs> he definitely has a style in which he, he directs his actors to act. And I think it works better in some movies than it does in others. Like in Dogtooth, it worked because the, the family was isolated and the kids were brainwashed. And so they didn't really have a, a frame of reference. The Lobster was more of a fantasy movie. It was, it, it was kind of felt like it was set in the real world, but more so in like an alternate universe. So it, it made a little more sense for the characters to be kind of speaking as unnaturally as they did. But the killing of the sacred deer, for the most part, seems to be set in the real world. Yeah. Modern day. And there's just a very, like I said, unnatural delivery in a lot of the dialogue. And um, a large portion of the, the plot revolves around a relationship between Colin Farrell's character and this, I think he was like a 16-year-old boy. And there's, they explain kind of halfway through the movie the the connection there, but before that, it's it's very awkward, and <laughs> you don't really understand like, like why are you spending time with this kid, and what's with this gift of a watch, and what what what, what is this, <laughs> and it, they you discuss the way like they're discussing you know, the uh, a metal watch band versus a leather watch band, and. It's just the observations they make are very, you know, unusual, very strange and uh, kind of against the grain of, of how, pe- you know, people who have been normally socialized would act. And then it kind of kind of turns into more of a like a sci-fi, not really sci-fi, but like a fantasy type because there's strange things happening to this guy's family and there's no real scientific explanation. but there's like a almost like a supernatural uh explanation for it and then it's a lot of the movie from then on out is determining how much of it is actually happening and what's causing it and figuring out if it's a a real like medical thing that's happening or if it is this you know curse or whatever i don't know if that's too much of a spoiler but um yeah, it's it's really unusual. It's um, kind of a slow pace, uh, slow burn type movie. It's not a ton of action. Not very little in the way of humor. I thought to kind of yeah, and that's kind of what you mentioned when we talk about Dogtooth is that has moments of of humor that kind of alleviate the more awkward or uncomfortable moments whereas in the killing of a sacred deer they don't necessarily have too many of those or at least not that i you know uh, experienced but 
I think the uh, the delivery, you know, like I said, it worked better in like Dogtooth. I think part of that was because it was in a foreign language, so like you didn't feel the uh, the strangeness of it as you you do in this movie, where like they're supposed to be Americans, and like you don't hear Americans talking like that. It's it's very yeah. uncomfortable to hear people interacting in the way they do. But yeah, it's overall, it's, you know, it, it, he's technically very proficient at, at filmmaking. It looks great. The shots look great. But I think the story, like I said, it's, it, it maybe takes itself too seriously at times. And then just the style of directing the actors in the scenes I thought was kind of took you out of the experience. So I think for the killing of a sacred deer, I'm going to give it a last resort. That's a last resort. Some people might like it if they're more, if they're into more of that, you know, uh, less mainstream style of filmmaking, more, more artistic uh, vision. You might enjoy it more. If you're somebody who likes more of a traditional style drama, uh, it's probably not for you. But uh, yeah, last resort. Yeah, I definitely thought it was the least funny of his films that I've seen. And although I did get like some humor out of just listening to them talk in their monotonous tones, talking about monotonous things. Right. Like you talked about the the watch, you know, the leather strap versus the metal. Mm-hmm. And after a certain point of like, would you call it good, terrible acting or terribly good acting? <laughs> like a uh, movie drone talked about it too. How of right. kind of, it's almost like a non-acting type performance. It's definitely intentional because yeah. there's, like I said, it's very unnatural in the way that they interact and like that's definitely a choice that he made when he was making that that this is how my uh my characters talk and it's honestly the favorite i don't remember if it was that severe but it was uh in dogtooth i think it was and it like i said it fit a lot better in that given the, the circumstances of the story and then in the lobster i think it was uh at, at least comparable to the killing of a sacred sacred deer as far as the how they they performed their lines and you know whatnot but again i thought it was a better fit for that story given it was more of a you know from the start you knew it was more of a fantasy movie Uh, you know it's it's about people who get turned into animals if they can't find a a mate Mm -hmm. so it's more of a an outrageous idea from the get-go so it, it doesn't seem as out of place as in the killing of a sacred deer where like up until about halfway through the movie it's just like a regular everyday family and this teenage kid who hangs on uh, and hangs out with the the dad for some reason yeah all right well I'm going to talk about a film from 2019, which I believe you've seen and talked about on the podcast before, but I saw it for the first time, Shazam. I have not seen Shazam. Oh, okay. Directed by David F. Sandberg, starring Zachary Levi, Mark Strong, Escher Angel, Jack Dylan Grazer, Adam Brody, Jimon Hansu, Faith Herman, Megan Good, Grace Fulton. That's about it. And synopsis. A newly fostered young boy in search of his mother instead finds unexpected superpowers and soon gains a powerful enemy. So yes, Shazam. The titular superhero. Played by Zachary Levi. And yeah, he's an orphan. Or he's orphaned at a young age, I should say. And then, yeah, he grows real, up. Real original backstory. <laughs> uh, he's been bouncing around from foster home to foster home. He always runs away. Never really plants roots anywhere until this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
finds a family and also at the same time finds out about his superpowers. So he's played by, so I believe it's Asher Angel plays the young Billy Bast or Batson is his name. And Shazam is the superhero name. Hmm. So Zachary Levi is essentially playing a you know, teenage boy. It was like big, you know, he's has the mind of a 13 year old boy basically, but he's a big strapping superhero dude. I see. Mm-hmm. And he can turn his powers off and on by saying Shazam. Like <laughs> <Play> Gomer Pyle. <laughs> <laughs> Shazam. Uh, and yeah, he has kind of a range of different superpowers. You know, he's got super strength. He can basically fly. Uh, he can kind of shoot electrical charges. Lots of different things he can do. Uh, there's a montage in there of him kind of discovering new powers and trying to kind of iron out the kinks and learning more about himself. And I thought that scene was very funny. It was in all the trailers where he's just walking around, zapping people's phones, going like, your phone is charged. No, your phone is charged. Your phone is charged. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't expecting a whole lot from this movie, but I did hear that people saw it, liked it, and got good reviews from critics and, certified fresh and all that yeah it was very popular from what i remember i don't remember hearing too much negative about it and i would say i enjoyed it quite a bit uh i thought it was pretty funny mark strong is a good villain i do like the i thought zachary levi was really good as playing a kid trapped in an adult body it's like superhero big is what this movie is basically (laughs) so so there's is there statutory in there (laughs) uh no, but they do. Uh, no, but okay. <laughs> they do make it a point to uh, visit uh, a strip club from time to time. <laughs> they kind of work that into the story, so it is like a, a gag, you know, a recurring gag, that type of thing. So they do, they do kind of play with that a little bit, you know, or him buying a nudie mag, that type of a thing. But uh, yeah, uh, this is fun for pretty much the whole family it's rated pg-13 got a lot of laughs out of it and i thought it was one of the better superhero movies i've seen especially like uh you know like a light-hearted one you know like i like the dark knight movies a lot but that's kind of a different type of superhero movie right it's a lot darker and serious and in the real world and all that this is more light fantasy fun that type of thing so I will give it, and eventually. Eventually. What is the last film you're going to talk about? I watched a 1975 cult classic called A Boy and His Dog. Hmm. Uh, directed by L.Q. Jones. Stars Don Johnson. Young Don Johnson. Hmm. Jason Robards. You may remember from Little Big League. That I do. Uh, Suzanne Benton, Tim McIntyre, Alvy Moore, Helene Winston, Charles McGraw, uh, Hal Baylor, Ron Feinberg. Yeah, that's good. Uh, synopsis A young man and his telepathic dog wander a post apocalyptic wasteland. So this movie takes place in the year 2024. Eighty. After is this world, like another I Am Legend ripoff or what? No, it's more like. Um, so what? It came out at the same time as uh, the Omega Man, right? The Omega Man is the kind of original I Am Legend, correct? It would. Uh, Omega Man was the second one. They had uh, okay. v- Vincent Price had one called The Last Man on Earth. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that came before it. Um. This is more like, um, it's a little bit like Mad Max, maybe Mad Max 2 a little bit in a ways. Um, Because of the dog. A little bit. (laughs) Well, and it's a desert wasteland. So uh, it takes place after World War IV, which they say took all five minutes. (laughs) 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 But uh, basically his... uh, his dog has developed 
telepathic powers and he he can like sniff out different uh he can sniff out like people or food or you know things like that and then telepathically tell the the boy uh what's going on and basically the boy is looking for uh some sexual release he's looking for a female and it's uh you know he's got to avoid some roving gangs and it's uh you know the first half of the movie is kind of him just kind of wandering around looking for stuff and and then the second half gets a little weird and i'll admit i I had a bit of the itis when I was watching this and I think I, I dozed off for a couple minutes. I didn't even miss that much, but when I woke up, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I even rewound it to see what I missed. And I missed maybe like 30 seconds. So like there wasn't a, a, a great explanation of how we got to where we got to, but it becomes pretty bizarre in the second half of the movie. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of like a, it's almost just like a slice of life of a lone survivor with his telepathic dog in the desert wasteland of post-World War Four, And it, uh, so like I said, there's not a ton of plot to it. Um, but you can see it, it probably influenced a lot of movies that came after it because this came out in 75 and like between then and the late 80s there were a lot of post-apocalyptic movies that have kind of a similar vibe and feel uh, or at least a similar setting but um, this one uh, I think even though it kind of set things off it's not one of the better uh, post-apocalyptic movies it might be something worth checking out if you're just interested in the genre itself or if you want to see you know a cult classic it's something that i've heard about a bunch of times over the years and just this is the first opportunity i got to see it so um if you're kind of in that boat where you're just curious about the uh the cult status of it you might want to see it but um i don't think it's required viewing for everybody uh, I think there are better movies like it that you would probably want to check out before it. So I'm going to give A Boy and His Dog a last resort. All right. That's a last resort. Well, I completed uh, the movie challenge for Of Mice and Men, which you assigned me last episode. That's right. From 1939. There are multiple versions. It looks like there's... One from uh, 68 with uh, George Segal and Nicole Williamson as George and Lenny. There's one from 1981. It was a TV adaption with Robert Blake as George and Randy Quaid as Lenny. <laughs> that one sounds like it's worth checking out. Now, I'm not sure I might have seen that one. Because in school, I saw the 92 version with Gary Sinise and uh, John Malkovich. See, and uh yeah when i was when i was in school this wasn't on the the required reading list so like i didn't like my first introduction to it actually i think the first time i i heard you know anything about the story of, of mice and men was probably mick foley describing uh inspiration he took in creating one of his characters mm-hmm. uh, but uh like I had heard of it. I, I didn't know anything about it until I saw the 1939 version, which is actually the only version I've seen so far. But obviously you, you must have, uh, if you saw it in school, you must have been much more familiar with it than I was. Yeah. I also read the book uh, several times in school. Uh, it's my favorite book ever. So I know the story very well. It says here, there's also a, they filmed a stage adaption of it in 2014 with James Franco as George and uh, Chris O'Dowd as Lenny. So that'd be a little weird. I'm Chris sure O'Dowd I, isn't that big of a dude. Maybe he is. I don't know. But I, I, The name sounds familiar, but I'm having trouble picturing it. Uh, he's the kind of British guy in a 
bridesmaids. I've, I've Crystal uh, Wiggs love interest. I've repressed cop. bridesmaids. Well, he's I've, the cop in bridesmaids. I've, I've repressed that, never to be brought up into my consciousness again. <laughs> well, anyways, so we're talking about the thirty-nine version, directed by Lewis Milestone, starring Burgess Meredith, Lon Chaney Jr., Betty Field, Charles Bickford. Roman Bowen, Bob Steele, Oscar O'Shea, and Leigh Whipper. Synopsis, two itinerant migrant workers, one mentally disabled and the other his carer, take jobs as ranch hands during the Great Depression to fulfill their shared dream of owning their own ranch. So, based off the book by John Steinbach. From the book, motherfucker, from the book. It's a very short book. You can get through it very quickly, which is uh, something I've noticed with these adaptions. Now, I can't be for sure if I'd seen one other than the 92 version, but they are verbatim, the book. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the reason the book and the films are so alike is because you can't really cut anything out or you won't have a feature-length film. <laughs> it's a very short book. <laughs> like, all the dialogue... In the movie is in the book and pretty much vice versa. Like even watching the 92 version, I don't really remember much from the book that wasn't in the movie. Mm. It's, you could do it easily as a stage play and they have, as you can see uh, right. quite often, I'm sure. So this is more of the same. It's kind of scene by scene. I know what's going to happen next. I know what the conversation they're going to have is when the scene starts and ends and, and where it goes from there. Now, Performances were good. I would have to say the 92 version is still my favorite. I don't know if that's even because I saw it first. I just maybe like, I think I like the updated uh, production value, acting, that type of thing. This is kind of a, you know, old Hollywood uh, right. adaption. Uh, I mean, they're perfect for the roles. Lon Chaney Jr. is a huge dude. Uh, Burgess Meredith is really good as, George Milton fits the body type. I'm trying to think of the other actors. Oh, I wanted to bring up Lay Whipper as Crooks because I was waiting for Crooks to come on screen because I was like, okay, is there going to be some dude in blackface playing Crooks or what's the deal? <laughs> and I went to IMDb right away and he doesn't have a... Doesn't have a picture. He doesn't have a picture, but I saw it was uh, uh, he was a, a black person. I looked it up somewhere. I can't remember if it's here... I think I just looked at a bunch of different pictures of different movies and you can tell he's black. Otherwise, that is some consistent blackface. But yeah, it doesn't really look like blackface in the film. It just looks like no. an African-American gentleman. But yeah, I was surprised. I was like, well, this is 39. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how they were going to play it. Because <laughs> that was going to take me right out of it if there was some white dude playing crooks. Like, I, I'm not sure if they had... Uh, like. In 39, obviously, they still had, like, scenes where they did blackface, but I don't know if they had white actors playing black characters at that point still. And this book would have been uh, pretty new in 39 because it's about the Depression. So <laughs> the movie came out in 39. Let's see here. The book published in 37. So this is hot off the press. Yeah. Very fast for an adaption, I guess. But it's John Steinbach, so um, I mean he'd already written of the Grapes of Wrath and that sort of thing. But I think I, the Grapes of Wrath was uh, turned into a movie within like a year or two of that coming out. Also, yeah, going out to California, looking for some of that internet. See, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, back to of mice and men. I'll give it an eventually. Eventually. I guess I can talk about a couple of things I thought were maybe different in this version than in the 92, but it has been a little while since I've watched the 92 mm-hmm. and read the book. So maybe we can talk about that when we get into spoilers. But uh, yeah, um, it was just another, like, you know, no surprises, another good uh, adaption of the book led by great performances by its two leads. Yeah, nothing bad about it. Now, 
the thing that struck me the first time I watched this is uh, the uh, the characters of George and Lenny uh, are so accurately parodied in Looney Tunes kind of throughout the years. And uh, that's one of the things that, that stood out to me is like that Lenny voice that Lon Chaney Jr. does, like it's so ingrained in me that that's a fucking cartoon character. Like yeah. they have different versions of the cartoon character, but the voice is almost always spot on to Lon Chaney Jr.'s voice in of of Mice and Men. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty. I can see where you make the connection there. But uh, I, I will challenge you to a movie, and then we'll kind of wrap up the show, and then we'll get into more spoilers from a film from '39 and a very famous book. Uh, so. Is a challenge. I challenge you to watch the fourth Connery Bond film, Thunderball. You skipped right. ahead, or you only lived twice. You, you saw the fifth one, and now you're gonna going back to the weld, Thunderball. I'm gonna get you back on that Bond train and get you prepared for uh, No Time to Die whenever that comes out. <laughs> You know, Sean Connery just had his 90th birthday and everybody acted like he never said women should be slapped from time to time. <laughs> well, they get hysterical. And sometimes you just... <laughs> everybody, everybody pretended like they forgot that we already canceled this guy. And uh, I, guess that, I guess he went away long enough that people forgot and they got nostalgic for James Bond. I think it's because... Uh, those same people don't want to cancel Sean Connery because they, when he did that interview, like I'm sure he probably would still say that today, but when we did that interview, that was like around the same time that, you know, John Lennon was beating up women. So people don't want to <laughs> have to go back to then. So they'd have to cancel John Lennon at the same time. You know, the guy that was all about peace and love, except when it came to women. Yeah. I think that interview was like 1980. Yeah. It was, it was like the early eighties. I think Lennon died in what? 82. 81, it was early yeah. 80s. Yeah. And I remember there being an interview with him not long before he died, within the last couple of years of his life, talking about how he was a hitter and you know, he had, had a lot of remorse for <laughs> hitting women. And so the guy, I guess you could say, well, he turned the corner finally. <laughs> well, he but, turned the corner and he never came back. Yeah. <laughs> they did. Well, Catcher and Rye is a good book, let me tell you. Too soon? <laughs> All right, uh, so you can reach out to us. Please follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie or brett at positivelywolf1. Uh, you can check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. And please rate and review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. And Brett, where can people find some lovely merchandise? For WTM. You can head to teespring.com slash stores slash WTM watch this movie. And I think forever until the end of time, we are going to be offering 10% off with the promo code canceled with two L's. 10% off. I haven't put any new stuff up there recently, but we have a, a lot of different designs out there. If you're new to the show, want to support the show, Take a gander over to the, the Teespring store and just kind of scroll through the, the different designs and I, I'm confident you'll find something you'll like. And uh, there's tons of different items out there, T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, um, anything helps uh, to support the show. And uh, we would greatly appreciate anything that you, uh, that you purchase. All right. Let's get into more of mice and men talk i think one of the only differences i saw now it's been even longer or i guess a longer time has passed since i've read the book than watched the 92 film version mm -hmm. um so i can't be for uh for sure but uh i found it i guess it, it seemed fresh uh the scene where curly's wife is talking to lenny 
and she's going to uh, uh, great lengths to discuss her past. And she's talking about how her dad wanted it. It sounds very creepy. Like she plays it off as innocent, but like her dad wanted to take off with her and, you know, like they basically lived the rest of their lives. Like he's going to, she's going to bake for him and stuff. And it was just weird. Like I know it was innocent, but it sounded bad. Yeah. But uh, I don't remember her telling that story about her going with her um, dad. And like, I think I remember her saying something like, you know, she married Curly because she wanted to get away from home. But I don't think it was because of a terrible mother or an abusive mother, that sort of thing. So there was that. And then yeah, there was something else. I forget, but it was, it was mostly minor stuff. Right. Where I was like, I, don't, I, you know, like I know the dialogue pretty well, and I wasn't sure if that kind of thing was in the book or not. But yeah, the they don't really change stuff like dialogue wise from the book. It's pretty much verbatim. It reads like you, a stage play, I guess. Who did you think of uh, Curly? He was fine. Uh, God, I forget who plays him in. Give me the give him the one two one two. <laughs> <laughs> that scene that scene where he starts going off on Lenny is something else. Yeah. You're just punching him in the face and Lenny's just taking it. It's pretty graphic in uh, the 92 version. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Who plays him in the 92 version? Uh, Ray Walston plays Candy in the 92 version, which is perfect casting. You know, he plays Candy, who has the misshapen hand, deformed hand. Right. And he also played Mr. Hand in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So, who's that? Now, Sherilyn Fenn plays Curly's wife, which is just perfect casting. Oh, no wonder you like it so much. <laughs> That's a perfect role for her, though. That's like plus 10. <laughs> I did like that Curly's whole uh, whole storyline was that he's got Napoleon complex. Yep. So Curly's played by Casey Samazgo in the 92 version. Now, it looks like he was in Young Guns as Charlie Bowdery. Stand by me, he was Billy Tessio. And you might recognize the face, but he has a lot of credits, but I'd probably know him if I saw him. He's in a couple Back to the Futures, and his character name is 3D. I don't know what that is. Is that Well, he must be the, the bully with 3D glasses. Yeah, that would make sense then. I almost forgot about that guy. He doesn't have very many speaking uh, parts in that movie. Yeah, he's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. But uh, my other favorite piece of, of good casting is uh, John Malkovich hosted Saturday Night Live in the early 90s. can't remember if it was when this movie was coming out or it might have been when uh, In the Line of Fire was coming out. But they did a... Of Mice and Men parody called Of Mice and Men 2. <laughs> and uh, it's introduced by Phil Hartman playing Michael Eisner. He's like, well, we found from testing that George is the least liked character because <laughs> he kills Lenny, of course. Goes, so what we did was we took out George and we put in a second Lenny. So <laughs> John Malkovich is playing Lenny again. And Chris Farley is playing the other Lenny. <laughs> and they're sitting in the barn just murdering puppies <laughs> it's like lenny tell me about the rabbits and no you tell me about the rabbits and they're they kill like six dogs they end up killing curly's wife again <laughs> and it's really funny because like the sketch is over and uh they pretend to go to commercial break and like everyone's taking their microphones off and they're like hey nice sketch jan she played uh curly's wife and uh, Chris Farley was the one that actually killed her in yeah. the sketch. And John Malkovich is like, Chris, she's dead. She <laughs> snapped her neck. It's like, I wasn't trying to. I was just trying to do the sketch. You know, and then they end up having Lauren Michaels come out as like a pseudo George character. And he makes him look into the audience as he tells him he's going to make a Coneheads 2 and put him in it and do this other stuff. And <laughs> he shoots him in the back of the head. It's, it's my favorite SNL sketch, I think. I wonder if that's on Peacock now. Uh, I don't know. I've looked for that sketch for years and years. Like you said, it may be on Peacock now, but, uh, you know, they always, like, take sketches out of repeats. 
of Saturday Night Live, you'll, even when it was on Netflix forever, you'd come across episodes that are like 35 minutes long because they took out half right. the sketches, especially this one being a, you know, probably a pretty popular property. I guess I wouldn't doubt it that they took it off of that uh, repeat. Yeah, I don't know. I, I might look for it. Um, but uh, Rob Schneider was curly in, in, the, <laughs> in the sketch. That was pretty good casting too. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'll have to look uh, to see if it's on there because I, I haven't been on Peacock much, but I know like HBO Max has Mad TV and there's a shit ton of episodes that they just don't have on there for whatever reason. And it's like that with a lot of the, the TV series on there. So I don't know like what the reason is for omitting a lot of these episodes from shows like that, but it would be nice if you're going to put it on a fucking streaming service that, you know, if you're going to have everything, you should have everything. Yeah. Speaking of which, I've been watching a lot of South Park lately on uh, HBO Max. And looking through the seasons, I noticed there's a few episodes missing. Yeah, Three, they, to be exact. Because they all I feature thought, Muhammad. I thought there was five that they took out. I know of at least three. Because there's yeah, the two uh, Family Guy ones where Family Guy was going to put Muhammad on TV. There's yeah. Cartoon Wars episodes. And there was another one. I think it was the Super Friends with like yeah, Jesus. The, and The uh, Super Best Friends or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think there was... God, I swear. Because they had an article that came out when it first got on HBO Max about that. And I think there were two more where they just like Muhammad just happened to be in the background. Like he wasn't even mm-hmm. like a main character. It just, yeah. It just happened to be there. So I was going to, I mean, that's going to lead me to buy the seasons. I already have one that I've bought. I used to have a bunch of the uh, seasons on DVD. And then I got rid of them once that was, everything was on Netflix. I was like, well, this will be here forever. <laughs> Lesson learned. Yeah, lesson learned. Um, But yeah, I'm pretty pissed that I uh, can't get those episodes. So I'll probably end up buying those seasons so I can get them. Yeah, I have the. I think I have the first five on DVD, but I don't think any of those were deleted from the service. But yeah, HBO Max, where I saw Mice and Men from '39. I think it was from their uh, Turner Classic Movie Connection. Yeah, the TCM collection. Yep. And when you actually, uh, I, I rewatched it this afternoon, and it's the the Criterion uh, collection version of it. Yeah. So, but they couldn't get the cigarette burns out of the film print, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the old Janus films. Isn't it Janus? Come on. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, HBO Max has a, a decent uh, classic movie collection on there um there's just some stuff on there that i wish they would have but they don't but we'll see it's new i'm sure they'll be adding stuff uh over time uh, anything else you wanted to add they kind of you know pan away from any serious violence or blood which is to be expected for a film from 39 but yeah the uh the killing of curly's wife they they pretty they obscured that well, and I think they 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 just showed her feet, right? Like she was, he was holding her up off the ground by her head yeah. and neck, mm-hmm. and then they showed her feet kind of, you know, uh, dangling a little bit, and then just going limp, and then next thing you know, she's just dropping to the floor. Yeah, the nineteen in the ninety-two version, when uh, Curly's beating up Lenny, it's pretty brutal. Lenny's getting pretty bloody, and then when he grabs his hand, Curly's screaming in pain, and then blood starts trickling down, like pretty much all sides of his arm, because the mm. bones are going through the skin and whatnot. Right. I don't know if it shows it graphically, but you really get more of a sense of his hand as being crushed. <laughs> yeah, I think they did. Uh, I think in the '39 version, like they showed him like squeezing his hand, and Curly was screaming in pain, and then like as they took him away, they they showed the bloody glove. Oh, it, was yeah. like, it was like being at OJ's house. But <laughs> <laughs> <Ba-dum>, shh. <laughs> Let's get one of those one of those clips. Um, yeah, and then Slim and remarked that. Think about every bone in his hands broken, that sort right. of thing. 
he got it jammed in a machine. <laughs> then his wife gets Snoopy and, you know, I, I looked at that machine and there's nothing wrong with that. There is definitely not a hand in there. That's another thing. I think that was the other thing I was thinking of if they added in the 39 version. Because in the 92, like, she definitely suspects uh, that he got his hand or that Lenny may have done something because she's talking to him about it in the barn. Hmm. And like, did he, you know, did he really get his hand caught in a machine, that sort of thing? But I don't remember a scene where she's confronting Curly in the house, making fun of him, laughing. Right. They're giving you the horse laugh. (laughs) 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 About her voice. (laughs) I think she's a more sympathetic character in the 92 version because I guess she's not as much of a jerk to Curly. It's more of like, I mean, even though Curly's such an asshole, she's laughing at him and seemed like in the 39 version he wouldn't care as much it's like his wife just got done shit talking him forever and he was saying that it was over between them you know yeah yeah he wanted he wanted, he wanted to leave her <laughs> yeah like you know so when you don't when you don't see that it's more like oh my wife my my adoring wife <laughs> you know in the 39 version like she's she's you know basically you know the the captive housewife or whatever and that type of trope but like she's sassy like she <laughs> got a fucking mouth on her she she stands up for herself she gets in people's faces um you know she wants to go out on her own uh, so uh, you know all things considered like that's a pretty strong female character despite you know the the basis being that she's just you know stuck being a housewife kind of basically against her will yeah anything else you wanted to bring up no i think that's about it uh you know i just wanted to to, you know share that with you as uh i know you had said you enjoyed that the book in that movie uh the 92 version and uh that what the hell let's watch the original yeah i'm definitely glad i i watched it it was uh a lot of fun to see Burgess Meredith uh, as a younger man. And uh, I don't know if I've seen a movie with Lon Chaney Jr., which is kind of embarrassing to say. But uh, he, he although, was the, Well, he was the wolf man. Yep, that's right. And uh, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen that one. I've seen the original wolf man with him in it. It's just okay. It's not great. It's, I the, guess not. And then he was in... Uh, was it Plan 9? Is he in Plan 9? No, that was Bella Lugosi. Yeah, Bella Lugosi. Yeah, sorry. Um, I've seen Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, and they have all the Universal monsters are in there, and Lon Chaney Jr. Okay, I might have seen that. I've seen seen a bunch of Abbott and Costello, so I might have seen that a long time ago. Yeah. Part of that movie's storyline is, uh, like, Lon Chaney Jr., uh, he's a reluctant monster, and he knows there's a full moon coming. So he's like, Abbott and Costello, you got to lock me in my hotel room and don't let me out. And mm-hmm. then they, they end up fucking it up, obviously, you know, and hilarity ensues. But that's a solid movie. Uh, maybe, I think that one might be on HBO Max. Maybe it would be something to look at for a horror extravaganza. Yeah. All right. So, well, anything else you want to add? No, I think we can wrap it up. All right. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you're off my case.